ಓಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತೆ ವಾಸುದೇವಾಯ ಓಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತೆ ವಾಸುದೇವಾಯ ಓಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತೆ ವಾಸುದೇವಾಯ ಶ್ರೀಮದ್ ಭಾಗವತಂ ಕ್ಯಾಂಟೋ ಫೋರ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ನೈನ್ ಟೆಕ್ಸ್ಟ್ ಫೋರ್ಟಿ ಸೆವೆನ್ ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸ್ಲೇಷನ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಕಾಮೆಂಟ್ರಿ ಬೈ ಹಿಸ್ ಡಿವೈನ್ ಗ್ರೈಸ್ ಐ ಸಿ ಭಕ್ತಿವೇದಾಂತ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ಪ್ರಭುಪಾದ ಯಸನ್ನೋಭಗವಾನ್ ಮೈತ್ರಾಧಿಭೀರ್ಹರಿಂಟ್ರಾನ್ಸ್ಲೇಷನ್ unto one who has transcendental qualities due to friendly behavior with the supreme personality of godhead all living entities offer honor just as water automatically flows down by nature purport the question may be raised in this connection why suruchi who was not at all favorably disposed toward dhruva blessed him long may you live which means that she also desired good fortune for him the answer is given in this verse since dhruva maharaj was, was blessed by the lord due to his transcendental qualities everyone was bound to offer him all respects and benediction just as water by its nature flows downward a devotee of the lord does not demand respect from anyone but wherever he goes he is honored by everyone throughout the whole world with all respect shrinivas acharya said that the six goswamis of vrindavan are respected throughout the entire universe because a devotee having pleased the supreme personality of godhead the source of all emanations automatically pleases everyone and thus everyone offers him respect the shrimad bhagavatam is the delineation of the nature of bhagavan who is by nature glorious in all respects so the glorification of bhagavan includes the glorification of his devotees and of the process of bhakti we find in this narration about dhruv maharaj how the power of bhakti worked to transform him because even though in the beginning his intention was not to be a pure devotee he became a pure devotee to such an extent that he became respected throughout the entire universe and even now he's respected throughout the entire universe because throughout the entire universe his abode is known seen and looked to dhruva tara the in english that's called the pole star and it's a guide for direction and 
especially sailors, they can use that on a clear night. So Dhruv Maharaj, directly or indirectly, even people who don't know about him, the, the sailors who for centuries have never heard of Dhruv Maharaj, have nevertheless taken a look toward his planet and taken direction, about the direction, from him. Now, Dhruv Maharaj was not a pure devotee or even really any kind of devotee. In the beginning, he approached, he had an idea to approach Lord Vishnu, but it wasn't really with the idea of serving Vishnu. The idea was to get something from him. In other words, there was no affection there. But Narad Muni approached him, Narad Muni is the guru of many great personalities. Generally, one should approach a guru for spiritual knowledge and spiritual direction. But in this case, Narad Muni approached Dhruv Maharaj. Dhruv Maharaj didn't come looking for him, but Narad saw, here's a young, determined man, or not even a man, a child, who has the intention to worship Vishnu. And the fact that he appeared in uh, a family that was, he was the son of a king who was expected to be a great person. Of course, Uttanapada, his father, didn't behave very well with his son Dhruva, but nevertheless, he was from a great family, and the, especially the early uh, great persons of the universe, the Brahmanas and Kshatriyas, they were expected to be of very high quality in their character. So the, the fact that Dhruva came from such a family suggested that if he takes to the worship of Vishnu, he can certainly uh, perfect the uh, process, he can become a perfect devotee. Of course, that was, uh, Dhruv Maharaj was directed by Narad and by the mercy of Narad, he took up bhakti and very determinedly and became, that uh, he became perfect devotee. His very name means fixed. Dhruva means fixed. The, the pole star is Dhruva. Is, uh, while everything else is moving, that's why when the sailors can take the, understand the direction which, to, they can understand which direction they're going in because while all the other heavenly bodies, they move, Dhruva remains fixed. Of course, uh, his fixation is in devotional service to Krishna. He's completely fixed in bhakti. He wasn't previously. He was conditioned and conditional. Conditioned by the modes of nature. And even though Narada approached him, uh, Dhruva didn't become a disciple very easily. He was not a he was not, from the very beginning, a surrendered disciple. 
Actually, disciple means surrendered. Disciples should be unconditional, not that, you, not that there's some kind of bargaining between the guru and the disciple. Well, could you do this? Hmm. Okay, well, I don't really like to do that. Well, could you do something else? I don't really like to do that either. Well, here's what I want to do. Can you give your blessings? Okay. That's usual, actually. At least nowadays, we've heard so many stories of disciples being tested by their gurus, the classic Zen Buddhism narrations of some perfect Zen Buddhist living in a cave in the mountains and a prospective disciple climbs up the mountain in the snow and wants to spin in and the guru says don't bother me now just wait outside so he waits outside for three or four days in the snow without eating anything and the guru says okay come in there's this you've heard of that right it's a classic story of how the guru tests the disciple to see if he's serious. It's a pretty severe test. It's lucky he's stayed alive, standing in the snow for three days. But uh, this kind of disciple is unusual. Mostly everyone's, they have their terms and conditions. Not supposed to be like that, but uh, mostly everyone has their terms and conditions. Dhruv Maharaj, he had his terms and conditions. He wasn't an ideal disciple. He was what Narad recommended to him. He said, "No, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I, I've got something else in me. What do you want to tell me? All right, but it's not for me. I got another aim." So then Narada, as an expert guru, he was able to give Dhruv Maharaj entrance into the process of bhakti, even from a conditional stage, by the mercy of Narada and by Dhruva's uh, unflinching practice. Dhruva very quickly became a pure devotee of such a level that even his stepmother, who had previously been inimical to him, she uh, changed her attitude, of course, as narrated here in this section, Dhruv Maharaj, she, she eventually died in a forest fire, so she might have, she might have had some lingering reaction to her uh, Misbehavior, to misbehave toward, a, toward anyone is bad, and to mistreat children especially is very bad. And Dhruva Maharaj is a great devotee. Of course, at the time, Suruchi mistreated Dhruva. He wasn't a great devotee, but it may be that someone, they later become a devotee, and anything done to him uh, even before that, then the magnitude of that offense may increase. 
we find in the uh, Vaishnava Vandana, the famous song in our Gorya Vaishnava Sampradaya, not famous within our Riskon society, but otherwise famous among all Gorias. What is that? Hoyeche Hoben Jote Jotek Prabhu Das. The Devakinandam Das who composes the song composed the song said that I offer my respects to all the devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, even those in the future. So we have to be careful if we want to offend someone. We shouldn't want to offend anyone, but we may bear in mind that they may become a devotee in future. So better to offer them respects rather than offend them. <clears throat> anyway, um, this narration, as in so many of the narrations, actually all the narrations of the Bhagavatam, they, they're concerned with Bhagavan, and Bhagavan means uh, he's with his devotees, he's not alone. Raja iti ayam nyayaha, there's one saying that the king has come. Raja ayam iti, so. So the king has come. It means that the king doesn't come alone. The king doesn't go anywhere alone. He always has so many attendants. But he's a king. The king's an important person. So he always has people to serve him in various ways. When a king comes to a place, usually it's with a big... If he goes from one place to another, usually with a big entourage, he'll have ministers and so many attendants and, and, and everything. To all It's a big thing. And they have to have a camp and cooking arrangements and look after his farriers for the horses and all kinds of things. So in the same way, Krishna, as the supreme king, he's never alone. So throughout the Bhagavatam we find the glorification of Krishna in his various avatars, the glorification of his devotees, and the glorification of the process of bhakti. All of these are inextricably interlinked. They never become one, just like jnana, jnata, and Gaya, the, the Mayavadis, they say that knowledge, the uh, object of knowledge and the knower, ultimately they all merge into one, which isn't possible. Or, uh, yeah, what is that, drashta? You know, who is to be, that which is to be seen? Darshan, the seeing, and who sees. What's the word for who sees? Hmm. Drashta. Well, the object of... Not, of drisha, drisha, yeah, drisha. So the, the object to be seen, the process of seeing, and the seer, according to the Mayavadis, they all merge into one. But it's not possible. They're... they're, they're 
So in the same way, there's Bhagavan, Bhakti, and Bhakta. They're all they all simultaneously exist. There's no Bhagavan without devotees, because who's he's the Lord of everyone. So who's the Lord of who? <laughs> or what? Particularly of the devotees. There are so many names of Krishna in relationship to his devotees. Bhaktavatsala. He's especially this he's very affectionate toward his devotees. So we find in all the narrations of Bhagavatam how the Lord is uh, very kind and protective to Ambarish Maharaj, which the whole narration of Ambarish Maharaj glorifies the process of bhakti, how by bhakti, even without any other qualification, one becomes greater than a great yogi. This Durvasa Muni was so much more qualified than Ambarish Maharaj in all the processes for elevation mentioned in the Shastra. He was renounced, he was a yoga siddha, he was a brahmana. Uh, no doubt he had great knowledge of Shastra. All of these more than Ambarish Maharaj, but still Ambarish Maharaj, by his bhakti, totally surpassed Durvasamuni, even without trying for that or even without desiring that. Prahlad Maharaj, by his bhakti, he, he toppled the order of the universe, even without desiring to do so, and caused the Supreme Lord to personally come. Such is the power of bhakti. So in this, and like that, throughout the whole Bhagavatam, we find the glorification, of, or automatically the glorification of bhakti is there. The demonstration of the glories of bhakti. Pure devotional service, especially. But here even mixed devotional service. On In the beginning, Dhruva, he wasn't really a devotee at all. He fits in the category described in Bhagavad Gita as someone who is who has got sukriti or some pious activities which are uh, leaning toward bhakti, but not really bhakti. He fit, fitted the description of artha-arti, one who wants wealth. So he wasn't really a devotee, but by the mercy of the devotee, Narad Muni, and by taking up the process of bhakti, even unknown to himself, very seriously, if, if he became a great devotee. Narad Muni, as far as Dhruva Maharaj was concerned, Narad Muni had given him, Dhruva, a process to become wealthy. If, if Narada had told you, I'm going to give you a process by which you'll become completely detached from the material world, 
and you'll become a pure devotee of Vishnu. Jura said, forget it, I don't want, I don't want to be detached, I'm damn attached. I want to have a kingdom greater than that of my grandfather, or great-grandfather, Brahma. So, so Narad Muni, yena tena prakarena, somehow or other engaged Dhruva in devotional service. And Dhruva became a devotee of even uh, of such a such a standard that here it's mentioned everyone offers him respect, even he was even though he was a young boy. He was respected by all. Generally a young boy you don't offer respect to a, a young child. But naturally, here the example is given. Nimnam Iva Apaha Swayam Nimnam Apa Iva Swayam Just just like water automatically goes down it's 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 natural unless there's some other uh, force put onto it, the tendency of water is to go down. So in the same way, naturally respect flows toward a devotee. It's the natural tendency of, of everyone to respect a devotee, unless there's some other force, unless there's some very demoniac tendency, then everyone will tend to uh, respect a devotee. So Krishna is very kind. He wants everyone to be a devotee. He wants everyone to uh, achieve the topmost perfection, which is to be his devotee, Krishna's devotee. We generally think of the Supreme Lord, or sometimes he's conceived of as the bestower of everyone's just rewards. He's known as a name for God, a general term is Vidhata. One who gives, he, he oversees everything and gives everyone what they deserve. They get, everyone gets what they deserve. So that's true until one takes to bhakti. And then the Krishna, well it's still true because in Krishna's estimation, a little bit of bhakti is much more than any other amount of pious activities or sinful activities. By taking to bhakti, one surpasses the position of those who are extremely pious but not in bhakti. And even if one has performed unlimited sinful activities, that is all cancelled by a little bhakti or even some touch of bhakti, just, just like we have the uh, narration of the, one very sinful king, extremely sinful, who, as often, often happens to sinful kings, was assassinated while he was riding out for hunting, he was riding on his horse, and one of his ministers who was ambitious to take the throne, 
shot an arrow at him. So the king fell down and just dying and then he was delivered, liberated. And everyone, all the demigods wondered what was going on. And it just happened that a Vaishnava had been in that spot applying Gopi Chandan to his body and there was some Gopi Chandan in that spot. So he died with Tilak touching his body, Gopi Chandan touching his body and as a result he was liberated. So that's uh, good luck. Uh, all his his extreme sin, he was extremely sinful. But nevertheless, he was delivered because of the touch of bhakti. So Krishna's mercy is more than his justice, or rather, uh, he is just. You may say, "Well, that's not fair. He, he should have been punished in hell." I, you know, I wasn't. I was only uh, one hundredth as sinful as him, and I'm suffering in hell. I didn't do nearly as many. Someone may say that someone who did much less sins has to go to hell, and why not him? Just because he by accident he touched some gopi chanda. Well, that's the power of bhakti. And Krishna, he doesn't. When there's some touch of bhakti, then Krishna tends to not see the sinful activities or even if, if they're seen, they are uh, mitigated by the touch of bhakti. Krishna is always prepared to help his devotees even if they are sinful, apparently. He is to be considered a sadhu whose intention is fully engaged in my service, but somehow or other is performing sinful activities also, such as the power of bhakti. And then, of course, not that this should be used as an excuse to go on sinning, because the uh, by the power of bhakti, his mind should become purified if he's actually performing bhakti. And then, then what happens? What's the next verse? After this, Shipram Bhavati Dharamatma, he quickly becomes Dharamatma, one who's situated in proper Dharma. Of course, Bhakti transcends ordinary Dharma, but uh, generally, devotee, he doesn't engage in, uh, he doesn't transgress the, the principles of Dharma. So even if one is not fixed in dharma, but some is a serious devotee due to some bad activity, bad habits, but he quickly becomes fixed in dharma. So Krishna is very kind, and if anyone takes to devotional service seriously, he helps them to become a pure devotee, as also stated in Bhagavad Gita. Uh, well-known verse, Tesham satata yuktanang bhajatang priti purvakam dadami buddhi yogam tam yenamam upayanti te. Krishna gives the intelligence to persons who are 
seriously and lovingly engaged, uh, constantly engaged in his service, Krishna helps such persons to come to him. And uh, even even a slight, what to speak of those who are always engaged in Krishna's service, even a slight touch of bhakti is considered by Krishna uh, far more significant than any amount of uh, sinful activities one may have performed in the past. That example there, the king of Sovir, who fell down from his horse, and, and the, or we, or the, the more well-known example of Ajamil, and the Yamadutta said, but he's sinful, and the, and the Vishnudutta said, but he chanted the name of Narayan, but he's, he did this, he did that, he did this. But he chanted the name of Narayana and the Yamadutas, they couldn't understand. You know, <laughs> he just made four syllables, Narayana, and then that cancels out all the, he's so much killing and murdering and cheating and lying and stealing. He did, he did all of these. He should, he's obviously, he should come with us. But he said Narayana. And the Yamadutas, and so what? And the Vishnu Dutas are looking at the Yamadutas and saying, who are these stupid people? They don't understand. They don't understand what's going on. So a little bit of bhakti cancels out any amount of sinful life. But uh, that bhakti, that should, there should actually be a touch of bhakti because sometimes people misuse bhakti. Also, but that's not counted. That's not appreciated by Krishna. Krishna appreciates any amount of real bhakti, but in imitation of bhakti for one's own personal gain, that is not appreciated. Dhruvmaj didn't imitate bhakti for his own personal gain. He didn't make a show of being a devotee. Um, it, Bhakti Vinod Thakur and Bhakti Sarswar Thakur in, in our Sampradaya they were Acharyas who a major part of their preaching was against Micha Bhakti or false Bhakti executed for just for a show. That's, that term is, was often used by them that was uh, Micha Bhakta was a term used by Narottam Dash Thakur, so it seemed it wasn't new in the Sampradaya to have false show of bhakti, but by the time of Bhakti and Thakur, uh, practically everything that was going on in the name of bhakti in Bengal was just a show and not the real thing. So uh, that is not pleasing to Krishna. That will not deliver us if we if we to take advantage of others if we show ourselves to be a great devotee uh, once Bhaktivinoda Thakur with several of his sons including Bimala Prasad later to be known as Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasar Thakur they visited Kulinagram which was a very important place of uh, in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela. It's not mentioned that he ever went there, but the inhabitants of Kalinagram 
were, are mentioned in Chaitanya Charitamrita as great devotees and Haridas Thakur spent time there. So some 400 years after the time of Haridas Thakur being the uh, Bhaktinath Thakur visiting, while well, visiting holy places associated with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he uh, visited that place. He reached in the evening uh, just to the edge of the village and some, he hadn't planned the program in advance. It's not, it wasn't so easy to do so. So in those days, with no cell phones or any kind of phones, he was just traveling around. And uh, But usually, a respectable person, they'll be offered a place to stay if they're traveling. Someone will arrange something. So at the, at the edge of the village, before actually entering the village, uh, just at sundown, he was accommodated in a... a uh, in a building that is not being used next to the one temple and uh, then in the morning no, dur- during the night there would uh, as soon as after sundown there, there were uh, everything was arranged for them but during the night there were there was terrible disturbance from a ghost So the next morning, Bhaktivinoda Thakur entered the village and then he was received by the village people and they asked him, where did you stay at night? And he said, I stayed just next to that temple outside the village. And they asked him, well, how could you stay there? He said, terrible ghost is there. No one can stay there. He disturbs everyone at night. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, I chanted Hare Krishna. And he went away. <laughs> Rather, that uh, ghost was delivered by the mercy of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. And the people were very curious, and they said, well, that was the former Pujari, and he always used to chant Hare Krishna, and he became a ghost. And then you chanted Hare Krishna, and he went away. So how is that possible? And Bhaktivinoda Thakur asked, well, what was the character of that person? He chanted Hare Krishna, but he said, no, no, he wasn't good. He was... Actually, a very bad person. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, well, that's why he became a ghost. But he was chanting Hare Krishna. Said, that's not chanting Hare Krishna. If you chant Hare Krishna to uh, nullify your sinful... If one... Bhaktivinoda Thakur, we don't have a record of exactly what he said, but uh, many people in Bengal, they had faith that the holy name delivers one from sins, but then they were using it for sinning. Just like the Christian, in some Christian denominations, they have this uh, confession. You go every week and tell the, tell the priest, well, uh, last week I killed 43 people and uh, ate 22 babies, and uh, okay, you're forgiven. Don't do it next week. And then he comes back again next week, and well, this week I only killed 41 people, and uh, it said, well, whatever it may be. Most people, they're not... So sinful. But uh, confessing, it's, it doesn't purify, or, or rather the idea that I will sin and then get some religious, by a religious process I'll get released from the reaction to that. Uh, that in itself is very sinful. It's not a, 
it's not religious. It goes against the purpose of religion. Religion is not meant to encourage sin. At the very lowest level of religion, it's meant to discourage one from sinning. That's the very, that's the very entrance into religious life. So, Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, oh, and another very common thing is that people chant Hare Krishna and people think, oh, he must be a saintly person. And then they get respect and they may be able to cheat others also because people think, well, you can trust this person, but actually you can't. And there are so many instances in the present day of people who are apparently devotees, but they, they take that position specifically to cheat others. So many people join ISKCON and after some time they leave with whatever they can get their hands on. Or worse, they stay and they keep on getting whatever they can get their hands on. And they're respected as good. He's been devoted 20 years. He's been stealing for 20 years. <laughs> but uh, So that kind of bhakti, that's not counted. Bhakti is most pure. Bhakti is most praiseworthy. Bhakti is most laudable. Vyasadeva himself as his mature contribution, lauded bhakti in a manner that is uh, not found in any other of the contributions of Vyasadeva. But bhakti, which is not really bhakti, or a show of bhakti, a deliberate show of bhakti, for taking material advantage, that's not really bhakti at all. It's not appreciated by Krishna. Rather the opposite. Of course, even somehow or other pronouncing the syllables of the name of Krishna, if one does that for cheating others, it's very offensive. And it's not considered actually chanting at all. Namako Bohire Bhattu Bhatte Tabu Nam Nahi Hoy Shadu Shange Bhai Krishna Nam Nahi Hoy Namako Bohire Bhatte Tabu Nam Nahi Hoy Jagarananda Pandit says that if one is not in the association of devotees or guided by devotees, if one is not actually in devotional service, the, the chanting of the Nu has no actual contact with sadhus then the chanting of Hare Krishna is not really chanting. The, the sound may be, a semblance of the sound of the holy name may be there, but that's not, that's not Krishna Nam, because Bhagavan is with his devotees and with bhakti. If there's no bhakti, then there's no Bhagavan either, even though one may make a sound like that. Still there may be some benefit, some slight benefit of amid mountains of offenses there's some benefit but that is not at all recommended to take up devotional service in, in an offensive manner even nama bhas all right chant somehow or other we're not actually pure there's some we can't immediately come to the level of pure devotion but don't cultivate material desires. This uh, 
And worse, worst of all, don't pose oneself as a devotee if one has ulterior motives. Of course, those who have ulterior motives, they won't accept this advice because they, they're not straightforward. Hare Krishna. Is there any question about this? Yeah. You do service, someone appreciates it, and then you get motivated for the honor. That's a common thing. That one becomes a victim of, of uh, praise. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu warns against that. La puja pratish. Nishidacha kutinati jibe hingjong. La puja pratishta jato upashaka gon. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu describes the weeds which, the figurative weeds which choke the figurative plant of bhakti. First of all, the gross ones are mentioned. There's sin, uh, uh, sinful activities, those which are uh, described as, or, as uh, forbidden activities. Duplicity and jive hingjan, this uh, mistreatment of others. So these are grossly. Well, duplicity is also somewhat subtle, but it's it has uh, because it's in the mind, but it's uh, it's gross. Duplicity is gross in the sense that it's deliberately. Indulged in, but labha puja pratishtasha, the desire for name, fame, and glory, wealth, worship, and respect. These, uh, they may arise in the mind, these desires may arise in the mind of the devotee even without the devotee's, actually, the desire for. For lab, that's, that also comes for for material gain. That also comes in the more gross contaminations. But the desire for respect is often very subtle. We don't even notice that we're doing it, or, or that that we're victimized by it. So we should recite Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's prayers and. Raghunath Das Goswami, he describes the Chandali, the because nowadays uh, every everyone's considered equal, everything's considered equal, but Chandali means uh, like some f- female of the lowest strata of society, and so your desire for name and fame. Was that Chandali or what? The, the, uh, hmm? Yeah, Shukare Bhishta, that's Bhakti Siddhanta. Yeah, we can also recite that. Toma Pratishta, Shukare Bhishta, yes. The, anyone who desires prestige, Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur says, it's just like this hog stool. So if we desire prestige, it's like, it's. Uh, it's like having the desire to 
find some hog stool and rub it all over our body. <laughs> Doesn't sound very nice, does it? Well, it's not nice. It's highly contaminating. Or oh, ass's urine, that Raghunath does says. Ass's urine. And all other nice things it's compared to. Anything else? No? Narada approaches Dhruva and gives him instructions at a level. When he first approached him, he gave Dhruva. Dhruva Maharaj said, I, I'm not able to follow your instructions. Of course, he, he wasn't physically incapable of following them, but he wasn't mentally prepared. Is it appropriate for a disciple? No, it's not. It's not appropriate. But despite that, uh, Narad was expert enough to give Dhruva instruction in such a way that he became purified. So that's the glory of a Vaishnava and the glory of the process of bhakti. That someone who wasn't willing to take up pure devotional service, eventually he did. But we shouldn't think that, well, it's okay to be a conditional devotee and then by the mercy of my guru I'll be delivered. One has to quickly come out of that stage. It's not that we can think, I'll go on being conditional forever. And bhakti, I, anyway I'm doing bhakti and I have so many materials, but it doesn't matter. Because anyway, Dhruva Maharaj became purified. But he was... Another point is that, that uh, Dhruva Maharaj was performing tivra bhakti, whether it was akama, sarvakama. He was an example of one who had... He was full of material desires, but he performed tivra bhakti. So if, if we think, well, it's all right, uh, this famous verse in Bhagavatam, akama, sarvakama, va, moksha kama, udhara, dihi, Tivrena bhakti yogena yajeta purusham param. That whether one is desireless with all desires or desires liberation, he should worship the Supreme Lord. But the word there is tivrena in, in, a, in an intense fashion. So if you think, well, it's okay, I've got lots of material desires. But uh, if one is, is a very uh, intense bhakti, then one can be purified of those material desires. Not that by half-hearted, uh, one for Krishna, one for me kind of thing. Idam Narayanaya. Chamama. This is for Narayana and for me also. Not Namama. It's for me. Not, 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 not for me. It's for me and Narayana. And Narayan's great. I'm also great. So give him some and give some to me. He, he's got enough anyway. What does he want more for? Damn greedy fellow. Just give some to me. I worked hard. So this kind of attitude that will not give us the same result. Underlying all these attitudes, it's a cheating. It's underlying cheating mentality. Dhruv Maharaj, he was materially conditioned, but uh, he was straightforward. He said to Narada, I have a desire, 
can you help? So he's, he was straightforward about being materialistic and Narada was able to help him come out of that. But see the intensity with which he performed bhakti. That's the lesson we can learn. Hare Krishna.